0: You're listening to Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan, a for the now media production.
1: Well, hello and welcome to episode 20 of the Null and Void sports podcast.
0: No fuel
1: shortage here. So we'll just crack on at full throttle. My name is Tony Grundy
2: and mine's Andy Callahan.
1: How did you go on at weekend with this best man duty I and mean, how did it all go?
2: It was, it was an amazing day, Tony. I think uh, the brides looked fantastic. The ceremony and the venue were um, amazing. Great venue, um, Ardington House out near Wantage. And the ceremony itself was held on an island in the middle of the mill stream in the grounds there. And then the reception and everything in a marquee. Obviously, the best man's speech was erudite, hilarious, brilliant <laughs> yeah. um, and everything else. At least I thought it was. <laughs> but it was just it, it was a privilege and an honour to be asked to be part of the day.
1: All right. So do, did you avoid putting headphones on to listen to some of the rugby and the golf and so on while you were doing it?
2: I certainly didn't listen to any of the golf. I had a quick look at the uh, <laughs> scores on my phone just before everything started and uh, I can't repeat what the, uh, uh, that was. It was uh, very much a case of, well, we'll, uh, we'll leave that there then, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah, quite. And, and talking about leaving that there, the, the Ryder Cup from, from with the defeat uh, with Europe, I think the only expression is lucky to come second. Fortunately, Andy Wild, our golf pro specialist, is going to come on later, and somehow he's got to find words to express how he feels as a professional.
2: I think if he can find anything positive to take from that, then uh, he's doing better than I did. Yeah, it was a it was a real shame to uh, to see that um, unfold in that way. I think. Uh, difficult and a really tough couple of days and I think the concern now is that we could be on the edge of a uh, an American uh strength to strength over the over the next coming years I think is uh the concern
1: oh stop stop right there Calan <laughs> don't want to hear any more of that but Andy Wilde will be along later what about the rugby that you did come into contact with NFL as well as Union
2: yeah, I mean, I, I managed to catch up with, on uh, o- over the weekend, the uh, Rugby Union. So, um, brilliant games. Quinns and Leicester are both 100% taken full points from their two games. So, Quinns definitely looking better than they did at this stage last year. And we all know what happened at the end of the season. Um, and also, in the quinns Worcester game, we had a history made where Sarah Cox became the first female ref. Take flight of uh, take uh, charge of a top flight men's league match, so brilliant. Um, and she said she really enjoyed it. She said it was a, a great day, and that she felt you know at times overwhelmed by the uh, support and the response she got. And she had an absolute blinder. I think you know, anytime that people are talking about the referee and not mentioning. Her decisions is always a good uh, a good sign for the ref. So she she had a great game, and I think it's brilliant. Um, Eddie Jones has named his forty five man squad training squad that are meeting uh, yesterday, today, and tomorrow for the uh, build up for the autumn internationals, and it's great to see some young new names in there. So uh, including Lewis Liner, whose father has uh, made his name for Australia and the Wallabies. Marcus Smith, the uh, Harlequins fly half who's been raved about so great to see some new names and some new blood so hopefully this is Eddie turning the wheel as we now enter the two years build up to the next world cup in France
1: yeah well for me and the premiership um, perhaps slightly unusual. I watched the whole of the Brentford versus Liverpool game quite deliberately I just wanted to see how they do against a, a top team and I, I have to say, I'm impressed with Brentford. We've said yeah. on, on the podcast, you know, we are our, our tip to stay up of those that, uh, teams that came up. And why? Well, you know, they twice they were behind against Liverpool and at no point did they look fearful or intimidated. It was a case of, all right, you've gone ahead, we'll get another goal then if that's what's needed. Mm. And I think that's very impressive. They are, as we've said, very well organised. They get behind the ball quickly. And they're very competitive and fit. And I, I think, you know, that, that was a credit to the Premiership, that game. Uh, Liverpool, obviously, very
2: good team. But 3 all was a fair result on the day. As a United fan, who were you supporting in that game, Tony? Yeah, Brentford. <laughs> <laughs> Brentford.
1: Yeah, he said quickly.
2: Yeah. Yeah, but, but what about yeah. the Spurs-Arsenal game, the North London derby? Uh, what happened there?
1: Well... Not a lot as far as Spurs are concerned because they, you know, the first half, they were absolutely dreadful. And that is the kindest thing I could say. And and people like Harry Kane don't look as if they're enjoying playing and they're not putting themselves through the mill, as it were, in terms of effort. And Deli Ali, you know, he was actually worse than Harry Kane in the first half, which is saying something. Mm. So I think they've got a lot of doing to do. Some of the Arsenal players, the young players, look very good there. So, you know, and they need to because they've got a long way to get back up
2: there again. But, uh, yeah, uh, it, it was interesting reading all the, uh, the the fans' forums and reports. You know, four weeks ago, everyone was calling for Arteta to be sacked and Nuno <laughs> was getting manager of the month. And now Arteta's is being hailed. I think I saw the headline, Arteta could be the next Wenger, was one of the uh, claims by one of the players. And now it's Nuno's. uh, I think he's up there with Steve Bruce as the uh, equal favourite to be the first manager to get the boot. Yeah, we might have to review our forecast on that one.
1: (laughs) County County cricket, that was a a really exciting finish. For me as a Lancastrian, I didn't like the end result. But um, it was exciting and I was listening on the radio to the Lancashire game against Hampshire and that was really exciting, but obviously topped the next day by Warwickshire, who are champions.
2: Yeah, I think if you'd uh, asked me on day three, I I, I would have said I can see the Warwickshire Somerset game being a draw, but Warwickshire really, they found that extra 5% to manage to pull the game out of the bag later on and uh, in the end made it look quite easy.
1: So Lancashire runners up and what they're in as we record this on a Tuesday, uh, um, they've got the Bob Willis trophy and I, I just happened to scan the score for today the first innings and the where, uh, uh, and uh, Lancashire were all out for 78 first innings. Mind so you? I, think, I think we'll pass on pretty quickly. I think their season's over somehow.
2: Yeah, you look at the conditions today in London. I mean, it was when it wasn't raining, it was very heavy, leaden skies. And the minute I saw that Warwickshire had won the toss and asked Lancashire to bat, I thought, oh, that's going to be a bowler's paradise. That. They, they, wouldn't,
1: they wouldn't fancy that. But anyway, I saw that Warwickshire got over a hundred for no wickets in response so far. So I think the Bob Willis Trophy is going in the same direction. As well, if Sanford. it
2: ends up a draw, it's done on which team scored the highest in the first innings. So uh, I, think, right, yeah, I, okay. well, <laughs> I think, yeah, I think I think we know where it's going. Another one we will pass on
1: women's cricket though. That was good.
2: It was excellent. I mean, the uh, conclusion of the one-day series between. Uh, England and uh, New Zealand. So England ended up winning the series 4-1. Some great bowling performances by Kate Cross, Catherine Brunton, and the the new addition to the side, Charlie Dean. Um, I think they've really performed well over the course of the series. And then in the final game, a a, a, a superb 100 by Tammy Beaumont. The game before where England were chasing quite a big score, Um, And Heather Knight, the captain, chipped in with 100. So, you know, I think England is starting to really tick in the, you know, the one-day format, come back to where they were three or four years ago when winning the World Cup in 2017. So, uh, yeah, Yeah. certainly a dominant performance. And then they, uh, also in the women's cricket, the uh, Southern Vipers won the domestic title, beating the Northern Diamonds in the final of the Rachel Hayhoe Flint trophy. So, I think it's rounded out what I I would say has been an excellent summer for women's cricket. It's really put, I think, with the 100, the Rachel Hayho Flint Trophy, the Test Series against India, and then the one-day series against New Zealand, it's absolutely put women's cricket in the shop window and really shown that the game is starting to thrive in this country.
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, on, a, uh, on a slightly more negative note, uh, Joshua's defeat... In the boxing championship, yeah, will that be the end for him? Do you think?
2: I don't know. I mean, they're, they're talking about a rematch. I think there mm-hmm. was a, I think this whole thing of the fiasco of rematches written into the contract now, it's sort of like it's uh Rocky and Apollo Creed all over again, Rocky one, Rocky two. So, uh, yeah, yeah. but uh, um, I, I, I don't know. Honest answer, I um, I think they the judges said he'd won four rounds on Saturday night. Yeah. I, I I think four rounds was being generous, um, so we'll see. I mean, you know, boxers do have a tendency to come back, and that might be the chastening defeat that sort of helps him step up, but I think it's difficult. He was, he was outboxed by Ussic, so I think it is, it's going to be tough for him to come back from that one.
1: Okay. Um, Voice of Sport, I wanted to add one more to our roll call, and this time for cricket. And, and it's quite sad, really, because Michael Holding has retired uh, from Test Match Special, but he was due to give his final performance, as it were, as a commentator for the Old Trafford Test, and we know what happened to that. So let's not go there. I'm not again, even going to
2: get started but, on that. But, but
1: <laughs> he, he's brilliant commentator though, and one of those most distinctive voices. Uh, and and um, at times expressing very strong opinions, like black like black, black Lives Matter, uh, you know. So he's perfectly able to do that. But one of those voices that, you know, you're at the test match when you start to hear.
2: Yeah, really reassuring. I think I I said to you, hearing Michael Holding's voice is like slipping into a warm bath. But at the (laughs) same time, someone who absolutely really knew so much about the game. But actually, his knowledge of horse racing is even more extensive than his knowledge of cricket. The man is an absolute horse racing nut. So, uh it, so great to see him sort of continuing with that interest in his retirement. But yeah, and obviously as a player, a he was one of the uh, the feared West Indies pace attack through the seventies uh, yeah. and eighties, and he gave us one of the best bits of cricket commentary ever of the bowlers holding the batsman's willy. <laughs>
1: Interested to remember that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, listen, on contacts, let's move ahead on that. Um, As we know, Darren Cunningham was the guest last week, uh, and he spread the word to all of his many, many followers, which is lovely. He sent them the link of of the episode. Uh, I'm really glad you enjoyed it, Darren. And, yeah, spread the word. If you get a chance to, to spread the message about null and void, Tell a friend, as they say, tell a friend. Mike Smith in contact, as usual. He says, another brilliant episode. And then says, how are we doing on the Olympic Challenge? You know, being held to ransom by our our listeners here. We'll come to that a bit later, I think. And actually, stand by, Mike, because we're going to add to it. And add our challenge, by the way, just to remind you, is that we will cover, through the guests we have on, all the Olympic sports between now and Christmas.
2: So for all the guests we've got lined up between now and Christmas, no pressure, folks.
1: Uh No (laughs) (laughs) pressure. No pressure.
2: Anyway, uh, so
1: we'll we'll see how that goes. Andy, get a grip. Um, That's not me saying that to you. That's for for you to talk about. But, But people are coming up with this expression in so many different articles I'm reading saying, get a grip. So we're obviously influencing loads of people. What have you got for us tonight?
2: Well, I mean, I'm going to talk about the fuel crisis and we could just say get a grip there and then and leave (laughs) it at that. that. But uh, looking at this, it actually links to non-league football. And um, this week, with everything that's going on and all the uh, panic buying and the uh, fools and people that have been sucked in by the stories on this and rushed out to fill up... Tanks and jerry cans and plastic bottles. I mean, the last I saw plastic bottles being filled with petrol, that was Molotov cocktails, not a petrol crisis. But uh, so everyone who's been filling up there, the Isthmian League, which is, I think, about level seven or eight in football, have gone back to clubs this week and said, look, if you're struggling with fuel and struggling to get petrol, you can actually postpone the games that you've got scheduled for Tuesday and Wednesday night this week, midweek games. Ironically, all of the ones who were the first to say, yes, we need the uh, midweek off, are all the ones who've got big FA Cup ties coming up this weekend in the third qualifying round of the FA Cup. Now, it's interesting that where they've said they can't get fuel for Tuesday or Wednesday, I'd be willing to bet my couple of pennies worth that on Saturday, when they need to get to their big FA Cup tie, they'll have no problem getting fuel and just happen to have had players rested for a full week. Whereas other level clubs who maybe haven't had that offer, I think it was only the Isthmian League that have done that, won't have had the rest in the week. So I think two get a grips this week. One to all those people who are going out, queuing up for petrol and panic buying to fill a full tank when they only drive 20, 30 miles a week, get a grip. And secondly, to the Isthmian League clubs that have a, postpone things because they can't get petrol I would also say get a grip
1: having played at that level I can understand the sentiments I'm not going against what you're saying on get a grip but I can understand the sentiments because it is so important financially to these teams as well that's the other side to that particular coin but yeah let's move on from
2: get a grip and
1: should we go to our first guest
2: I think we can. Yeah. Having brought the tone down, we can bring the tone straight back up with a, a great guest. All right. Well, our first guest is yet another
1: with an impressive list of qualifications. One profile I read said a dynamic and innovative performance analyst, extensive experience in applied international sport, higher education, teaching and international research. That's what one profile said. Another profile said an academic and consultant performance analyst, coffee, sneakers, power naps, and Leicester City enthusiast. I don't know, somewhere in between there is our guest tonight, Dr. Andrew Butterworth. Hi,
0: Andrew. Hi, guys. Thanks uh, Thanks very much for having me, and uh, thank you very much for the introduction. <laughs> so, well, I, I did say lots of qualifications.
1: It, you, you, you've obviously spent many years... Getting to these level. Tell us about those qualifications first and where that's taken.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, my, my academic qualifications, if you like, if I start there, um, yeah. my highest one is a, is a PhD, so a doctorate. Um, and that was all based in and around elite sport. So I was very lucky to be able to work um, heavily in elite sport with the England Netball team, um, which is where I've done a lot of my applied performance analysis work. So I did a PhD with the England netball team um, and uh, was very lucky to travel all around the world, simultaneously uh, collecting data for my PhD, but also acting as the analyst for the team and providing some some coaching insights to both the coaches and players to to hopefully improve their performances. So that's kind of my highest level qualification. I I went to university um, at that point. I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do, to be completely honest, and it was it was an exploratory uh, three years for me. But I went down to Hertfordshire, studied sport for three years, um, and then accidentally fell into performance analysis, and, and kind of went from there.
2: You say accidentally fell in, Andrew. Um, you know, how how did that come about then? <laughs>
0: Well, it's, it's lucky that I woke up one day for a 9am for a lecture, because if I didn't, then I probably wouldn't be sat here now. Um, so the, the long story short is it was a sports coaching module um, that was in my second year of study, and it was a 9am, and I vividly remember not being sure if I was going to bother going in that day or not, but oh boy, am I glad I did, because that day was a guest speaker in from Watford Football Club, um, who was a performance analyst at the club. And that's where it all started for me. It was a guest lecture on what is performance analysis? How can you get into it? What are the different opportunities? Um, And that's really where it started for me. So if I hadn't come to that session, then uh, I certainly wouldn't have gone on to get all those other things that you, you kindly quoted, Tony.
2: And having been a student myself, um, and I know my mum is listening here, so uh, please forgive me, Mrs. (laughs) C, um, but I know how many nine o'clock lectures I didn't make through my uh, student career. So for you to have made that one, that's, uh, that's really fortuitous. But for our listeners who maybe aren't as familiar with some of the sports that we talk about, Andrew, just talk us through, what is it that a performance analyst does? What's the role?
0: Yeah so performance analysis is what I, what we would describe as an objective science and what we mean by that is We look at the video of training, of matches, of opposition as well, um, and maybe some work in the gym occasionally as well. We look at the video of that and we do something called coding. Now what coding is, is um, looking at the technical and tactical parts of the game um, in whatever setting um, they're being undertaken and trying to find the little insights, the little tweaks that we can make. There might be a subtle tactical change to uh, the team's overall tactics. It might be a technical thing that we need to change in someone's shooting technique in netball, for example, one of the sports I've worked in. So my job really is to find those things, is to find those little things. Um, They often get referred to as the one percenters, um, the one percenters that could make the difference. That's the performance analyst job, really, is to try and find those. Um, So it's an exciting job. It can be dull at times if I'm honest it's long hours it's a lot of video work it's a lot of numbers work um, which can get quite uh, monotonous at times but the satisfaction when you find something and then you're able to change that in someone's game and then it happens for real out on the court and it makes a difference to the outcome is is just fantastic and um, I've been lucky to have a, a fair few of those moments but For every one or two of those, there's also plenty of times when the players don't listen and uh, it doesn't quite (laughs) come off. And so is it the players you're
2: giving that data and information to? Is it the coaches? Is it a combination?
0: Yeah, it's a combination. So um, I've got all this data, I've got all this video available to me, but the most critical part of my job is can I translate what I found in my numerical language and my mathematical terms and all of that stuff can I transfer that into language that the players and coaches can take on board so I always refer to this as landing the message with those players um, and with those coaches and that's absolutely critical Um, I could have done the best analysis in the world and have found something that's absolutely you know the thing that's going to make the difference but if I can't communicate it back to those guys then is pretty pointless to be honest. Um, so yeah coaches players mainly um, I deliver directly to those uh, those guys but also higher up occasionally as well so performance directors um, financial um, per string holders occasionally as well to evidence the progress that the team's making. Um, in the past, I was speaking to kind of Sport England and UK sport level as well, again, to kind of show the progress that teams I was working with are making. So a whole variety of people, which, which keeps the job really exciting. Mm.
1: So, so you're currently at Derby University and you're, you're kind of um, the lead tutor for two degree courses. Is that right?
0: Uh, I was as of about two three weeks ago I've actually moved on Um, yeah it was um, I had a fantastic six years at Derby University um, where I led the academic teaching of performance analysis and coaching Uh, but very very recently um, literally in the last two weeks I've moved to Loughborough University kind of uh the home of of university sport really and and more globally of course um, which is brilliant so so yeah my role at Loughborough is twofold one is uh, teaching so I'm an academic uh, teacher of performance analysis uh, we've got a, a brand new MSc course in performance analysis which starts uh, this Friday in fact coming up so excited to get going on that um, and then I also, on, on top of that, do the practical analysis for the, um, the netball franchise team, Loughborough Lightning Netball, um, who are based out of the university and very proud to say that we, we won the English Super League last season. So uh, very, yeah. very good achievement. Very proud of the whole team that, that, that put in towards that. So so, yeah, quite a recent change.
1: No, I didn't I didn't pick up that on that on any of your profile stuff, but uh, <laughs> in fact, one of my questions was going to be to you at some stage, what are your ambitions? Where are you going to go? So that kind of answers the immediate one anyway.
0: Yeah, it's um, like I said, I had a great six years at Derby and it's a great place to work. And I was very lucky to work there. They they took a bit of a gamble on me as a as an academic because I was very new into it when I first got the full time role with those guys. But they were great. They really helped me develop, gave me the opportunity to do CPD courses and then um, developed me um, into program leader, as we called it, where I was responsible for two entire degrees. So that was great. But I always had in my head that, you know, Loughborough is 20, 30 minutes down the road. It, it is the place for sport. It's it's in the locality. It's got a reputation, mm. the facilities and, and it's growing its performance analysis provision. So it was always an exciting opportunity for me if it came up. And it did. And I was yeah lucky to, to be able to interview successfully for that.
2: Fantastic. Nice. Well done. Um. So- I noticed, Andrew, that in one of the uh, – I think I mean, I was watching uh, some of the videos that you'd put up online talking through about how people can sort of start understanding analysis. And I, and I noticed you talk about the the pre-match and the post-match as sort of two of the three key pillars. I'm a bit interested in the in-match one because mm-hmm. how do you turn that round? You know, you've only got a short period of you, – you, you're live, if you like. You've got to get that information, mm-hmm. that data – code it turn it from your as you said mathematical scientific language into something that's nuts and bolts for coaches and players who are probably so het up in the moment anyway that they really need that down to a a probably one or two crystal clear messages what's the sort of pressure and the pace to turn that round
0: it's high paced, definitely. Uh, the pre and the post match analysis give me time and they give me the opportunity to to go over things and redo things. But obviously in the moment, it is pressurised to get, get an insight down to the coaches and players and hopefully make an impact. We're very lucky in performance analysis that we've got a lot of very advanced technology that helps us to do the job. Um, So we've got um, exciting camera systems which will film automatically for me. I don't need to touch the camera because it will track using um, artificial intelligence. It knows where the ball is. And it would track that for me. So that gives that frees me up to then do more of the insight stuff and find something that's going on. So that's great. We've also got loads of software and things that, um, that help me to do the job. So in terms of how I do it, well, there's two things really is one is finding something. And then two is communicating that down to the coaches and players court side. Mm-hmm. So on the first one, finding something, We always go into every game knowing tactically what we need to do to win that game. So we will always have three or four key things that I've pulled out from the pre-match analysis where I've gone, look, guys, this is what we need to focus on. The coaches have fed into that as well. And obviously in the week leading in, they've had time to practice that.
2: Without giving away any trade secrets, what would be (laughs) the sort of thing that you'd you might highlight there and say this is the sort of thing we need to focus on?
0: Yeah, of course. So in netball, um, there's two main types of possession. There's what we call given, uh, sorry, gained possession, um, which is where the other team has got the ball. So they've got the ball in hand and we gain it back from them. And that's critical in netball because it's a territorial game. Each team um, gets the opportunity to start with the ball 50% of the time. So every centre pass is alternate. So if we can take the ball from our opposition on their centre pass, turn that over and score, that's huge for us. And that's how we get the scoreboard ticking over. So we work a lot on that um, gained possession. We try and work out, well, how can we break down the opposition centre passes? Where do they like to pass it to first? Who do they like to pass it to? Which zone of the court does it go to? And then, of course, we can communicate that to the players who can hopefully try and shut that down, uh, turn the ball over and then transition to a goal um, at our end in our favor. And then on the flip side of that then is the given possession. So we get given 50% of the, the restarts in netball. It's unlike football, where if you concede a goal, you then start. It just alternates every time in netball. Okay. Right.
1: Um,
0: so that given possession, like we have to take care of that. That's critical for us. Because technically, if we score all of our given possessions, all of our centre passes, we only need one turnover, really, to win the game. That could be the difference. Um, so it's those things that are absolutely pivotal um, that we look for. So, so, yeah, so in a match, in a game, that that's what I'm looking for, is are the tactics playing out as we thought? So are the opposition delivering the ball where we thought they would do? Are we able to turn it over and then make the most of that? So that's kind of some of what I look for um, amongst some other things. But just to finalise on that point is we always have a clear plan in mind. We never go into a game thinking, let's just see what happens today. And we'll just see whatever I happen to notice. That's what I'll talk to the team about. It's always preset on three or four key parameters. These are the things I need to, to be looking out for. And then we can provide an insight. In terms of delivering that back then, um, two main methods is you'll all have seen, I'm sure, much of the day now um, in football, there's iPads all over the bench and the coaches have got earpieces in all over the place as well. The, the assistant manager normally. Um, and they're talking to the analyst and they're seeing what the analysts see. So the earpieces that you see um, are exactly the same as what I use. I actually use AirPods now just um, connected to my iPad because it's more portable. It's easy. There's no wires around. Um, That's linked to the assistant coach on the bench. So we're in constant dialogue throughout the game about what I'm seeing. The coach can say back to me, look, Andrew, have you seen this on the center pass? Can you pull us a clip of that? Um, So the communication is really vital. and We have to work hard on that. Mm -hmm. Um, And the iPads themselves then carry video. um, So I can send the key video clips down. I can also send them some key numbers about how the game's progressing objectively as well, which is really exciting that the technology allows us to do that. Um, And then the final part of that is then at halftime. So netball is a game of quarters. I'm only allowed to go down at halftime. Um, So I've got realistically in the 12 minutes halftime, I've probably got 90 seconds to deliver my message. (laughs) Um, so I've got to really get down to the the crux of the matter straight away with the coaches and players and say, look, this is what's been happening. This is what I think we should do. Let's see if we can change it. Can I ask you a question, Andrew, which is during one of
1: those halves it, it is how quickly, if you saw whatever you'd planned wasn't working, would you set to change that i'm intrigued by that because both andy and i have been involved in coaching and i'm very critical when i watch some of the premiership football of saying it's obvious it needs fixing now don't wait for half time do it now how soon would you actually
0: intervene if it was necessary yeah fantastic question i mean what i would tend to do so netball is a 60 minute game uh four quarters of 15. for the first five minutes of the first quarter i would just watch i i don't try and analyze too much i don't try and look at the numbers too much i'm just getting a feel for the game is it are these things starting to emerge in the way we expected them to or not of course at the start of a game so like i said we we won the super league and the start of the final the very first ball of that final We lost. So we have the first center pass. We threw it out straight away. There's pressure, there's nerves. It's a big occasion. Mm. So I could technically have started to unpick that straight away and gone, well, look guys, you've, you've not delivered that first center pass. You should have been here. You should have been there. Mm. But that's just one very, very quick instance. So the first five minutes, we just, we just watch, we just see, look for these emerging patterns. And then the numbers start to tell us a bit of a story and the visuals start to tell us stuff. In terms of making changes, netball has rolling subs. So you can make subs as and when you need to. Um, They changed the rules slightly a couple of years ago that you used to be able to call timeouts. You can't do that anymore in netball, Um, but what you can do is you can swap a player. You sometimes have to feign an injury and say that you need (laughs) to swap a player, but you can do it. All teams do it, so a little bit of gamesmanship there. Um, The coaches, I would say, are bold and the coaches I've worked with certainly in the last couple of years are not afraid to make changes if something's not happening as it should be because it's a game that's so quick and the pace is back and forward. The scoreboard can rack up in either direction very quickly if you don't get a handle on what's happening.
2: I guess, as you say, there's a sweet spot there of not panicking too early, but Mm. at the same time, not waiting too long, I guess. To use the line from the Kenny Rogers song, it's know when to hold them, no when to fold them. But kind yeah. of, uh, you know, knowing when that sweet spot is.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and that comes with time and experience. I think I've worked in kind of elite netball for about 12, 13 years now. So I know the sport inside out tactically and technically, and I've got a really good feel for it. And the coaches I work with trust me, and that's pivotal here. For any coach and analyst um, in in any sport, netball, football, cricket, rugby, um, that relationship and that trust between you, the analyst, who's the eye in the sky, as we often get referred to, or the informer is another (laughs) nickname that goes around. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That trust and and the coach trusting in you to do your job and and then put your view forward, backed up with the data and video, is a huge part of it as well. And and they will be bold enough to make those changes if they see fit. Mm.
1: Just leaping around just slightly, something else you did back in April of this year was join the Football Medicine and Performance Associates. What kind of work does
0: that lead you into? Yeah, so that was um, a new opportunity. So the FMPA approached me directly um, and asked me to come on board with a couple of different projects with those guys. The main one I'm working on uh, with them at the minute is just starting to push performance analysis within their association a bit more. So by their own admission up until now, they've been very kind of medically That's not a word, is it medically? Uh, Medical centric and and physical science centric. And they've not really looked at the tactical and technical side of things. So so my role as an editor uh, for the FMPA is to write articles for their publication, which comes out uh, four or five times a year to educate those who work in football, sports science, who maybe don't use performance analysis so much at the minute or maybe don't know too much about it. Um, so I write articles and, and find other people to help me write articles for that. So we've got um, I just just yesterday, in fact, finalized an article from Derby County. And perhaps we say no more on them at the moment. But uh, <laughs> yeah. the next article is coming from one of their analysts, one of my ex-students. Uh, the addition after that, we've got a piece lined up with FIFA, um, who have been working hard in the background on a, a really exciting project um called football language so that will be released soon as well that's going to go public so so yeah my role there is exploratory really I would say bringing performance analysis to the association a bit more and just trying to broaden its reach and you've
1: also been involved in a number of other sports as well I, I noted down badminton what 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 was that all about
0: yeah so badminton is my my sport um so badminton is my sport to play uh to coach um and to analyze now so i played to a, a decent enough level i coached it for about 10 years as well got my bad years got some good experience but analysis wise i've worked with two main organizations one um i worked for badminton england or team gb uh, when they were in their olympic cycle so was very lucky to work with the the doubles pairings heading into the london 2012 games Um, And did a lot of analysis, tactical work for those guys, which was brilliant. Obviously, getting to work at the pinnacle of Mm. my sport was just fantastic. Mm. Um, That was great. Um, I ended up being able to go uh, to London uh, in the Games and the Paralympic Games as well. And worked with a few different sports um, as well. And then the other badminton work I've done is completely different, actually. It's for the Badminton World Federation, who are the the overall uh, governing body, And that's um, investigative work. So they have um, a department who look into any uh discrepancies in matches so are there any irregularities in betting patterns for example within a game where they think something fishy might be going on um and my job is to to look at that from an objective perspective and say "Hmm, this is different compared to previous games and and investigate Mm. that way so a very different analysis but a very interesting one so you'd be
2: looking at the actual play on the court and to see if that matched up you wouldn't be looking at like the betting trends or anything off the court
0: yeah so it will kind of come to me someone will come to me and say look we've got maybe a suspicion about this game we just want to confirm or deny it really so Mm -hmm. someone else will have looked at the betting patterns it will then come to me and they'll say can you do an objective analysis on it um, and as part of the overall investigation, my work kind of feeds into that um, and, and either says, yeah, I think possibly there has been or actually, no, I think we're okay here. Yes. Just-
2: yeah. So it's much more detail. I guess some of the ones that we've seen that have been obvious over the years, the... Uh- I forget who the bowler was in the Pakistan England series that was about five yards past the no ball line or the footballer who kicked the ball straight off from a kickoff from a throw in. I guess they're the obvious ones. But in a a game like Badminton, I I guess it would be much more subtle than that.
0: Usually, not always, but usually (laughs) um, the... um you if we think back to 2012 and the Olympics actually there was there was huge controversy at the time because um, there was very very strong and, and fairly obvious signs that some matches were being thrown um, yeah. in the London games. Um, I can't remember whether it was doubles or singles now I forget. Um, but there was huge controversy around that and that's partially where this kind of investigative work, stemmed from um, mm. to kind of avoid those kind of things moving forwards um, but yeah it, it's usually very subtle which means the work i do is very very detailed just to make sure that we are getting it spot on you're a busy guy obviously
1: andrew <laughs> but if somebody wanted to get in touch with you and say i like the sound of what you do could you possibly add me to your list or tell me more about you where would they go to do that where's the best place to do that
0: yeah absolutely i mean um the best place is twitter so uh, the best place you can contact me is at ad butterworth on twitter um, so on there i offer at uh, various different points in time insights into what i do so photos videos um, into what i do behind the scenes and some of my work uh, a bit of a glimpse into my life as an analyst um, and through the pandemic as well, I offered, um, I created my own webinar series called Not Another Webinar, because there were so many going around <laughs> at that time. Um, and my Not Another Webinar series was a chance for um, just what you've, uh, you've just described, Tony, is people to get in touch, have a chat with me for 15 minutes, um, just all about analysis. Could be anything at all. You've maybe never done analysis before or your experience and you just want to chat to someone from a different sport. Um, so that opportunity is there, all the details are on my Twitter profile. Um, I do that completely free of charge. Um, all I ask is that people maybe consider a small donation to one or two charities that are very close to my heart um, as, a, as a way of um, kind of rounding that off quite nicely. So if anyone did want to get in touch, then please do um, jump on that Twitter handle. So it's at AD Butterworth. Um, and yeah, it'd be great to hear from you.
1: I'll tell you something else. You know, uh, I'm sure Andy may may have other comments, but absolutely delight meeting you uh, for tonight's podcast. And because you're going to Loughborough and it's a new venture there, Um, can we come back to you at some stage and follow up how that goes?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Be delighted to. Um, and yeah, thank, thanks again for having me this first time. But yes, yeah, certainly, uh, performance analysis is is going to grow massively at, at Loughborough. It's um, it's started to already. There's some good signs coming out. So yeah, absolutely. Let's do this again sometime. And and I'll update you on everything. That's
2: brilliant, Andrew. Thanks ever so much. And really wish you all the very best in the in the new role. So good luck with it.
1: Thanks, thanks very sir. much, guys. Cheers. Cheers all
2: the See you later. Bye. Bye.
1: Well, we seem to repeat ourselves at this point about our guests, but such a high standard. And I really enjoyed uh, listening to Andrew there. Good stories, but obviously high level expertise,
2: you know, and and we always say, don't we? How on earth do you follow that? Well, this week we follow one Andrew with a second Andrew, well, an Andy. And and, uh, we reintroduce her friend of the show and someone we've met before, but um, golf pro and uh, golf coach, Andy Wild. And uh, hi, Andy, how are you doing? Hi, champs.
1: Are you well? Uh, Now, you've got a difficult task tonight because you're following up on the Ryder Cup. I asked you if you would do in the hope that obviously we would get another victory. But bear in mind how it panned out. I said earlier in this podcast Lucky to come second. What's your <laughs> assessment? What's and your just, assessment? Uh, well, just
2: before you start, Andy, all, I will say there are young listeners that listen to the show. <laughs> so please don't share your exact thoughts.
3: <laughs> well, well, first of all, uh, it, 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 lovely to be back, chats and have a chat with you. Uh, much easier to do it post rather than pre,
0: yeah. rather
3: than guessing what we we're going to do. I think most of us have got it wrong. Uh, yeah, normally I'm suicidal after a uh, Ryder Cup defeat, but um, I think uh, the writing was slightly on the wall from from the start of the the uh, event. Uh, but first of all, this this week, who would who would have thought? You know, Man United losing at Villa. I think Bruno's, home to, Bruno's home to Villa. Uh, br- yeah, well away. Uh, yeah, and uh, the and um, um, Bruno's football. I think it's still in the air, isn't it?
1: It's on the end. Landed yet? Yeah? It's on the Unbelievable. I, think, <laughs> I
3: think it's somewhere up in
2: space. and Waddle's 90.
3: <laughs> yes, it's very close, was not it? And we've got AJ losing, Ryder Cup losing, and to top it all with the petrol debacle, we've got all, everybody that's got an electric car is even more smug than normal. It's been a disaster, <laughs> disastrous weekend.
1: Listen, you're, you're avoiding the
3: subject. Come on, come
1: on.
3: <laughs> uh, I, I guess... Um, Obviously, you know all our players are fabulous. I think Harrington was pretty amazing. Um, I think they were a better team on paper, and this time they were a better team on the grass. Mm. Without- you know, they putted, they putted uh, better than us. Mm. Uh, I don't think the score quite showed uh, the the gap. I don't think the gap was that big. There was a lot of games where we we had a putt to to potentially win the hole. We just shaved the hole. And then the Americans knocked it in and it went to three out rather than one up. Uh, but we needed to put pressure on very early. It was always going to be a very tough, tough ask for us. And we needed to put them under pressure and make them feel that they were, they had a chance of losing on their home soil and then get them to, to really panic a little bit. And we never we never got there, did we?
1: No, it was funny because I, I was saying earlier before we started the podcast that it was one of the I watched quite a lot of it quite deliberately. I wanted to be able to. Have, have a real view of it but it was really hard going and also it wasn't exciting you know in, in the way yeah. I would have wanted it to be because it, it, it was so obviously going in one direction from early on as you rightly said early on
3: yeah yeah but well, they, they say it comes in waves and normally that it changes but we just you know the, it was crashing on the Europeans all the time wasn't it yeah. Never, <laughs> never I think Saturday afternoon we had a little glimmer if we could have done four nil on that on the afternoon, I think we may have stood a little bit of a chance, but, you know, two, two in the end and they played quite well for that. So they're, they're a tough team and, you know, on paper, they're, they're, they're much better mm. than us and, and they proved it this time. And, and yeah, all, young... the, all,
2: all the talk in the week before Andy was about how the Americans yet again were at war in their own camp and at each mm. other's throats and, uh, Yeah, I I don't know whether that was over-egged this time by the press,
3: but by the end of
2: it, they certainly all seem to be getting on well.
3: Well, um, unfortunately, De and Brooks got on quite well, didn't they, towards the end, or (laughs) seemed to, which is a bit of a shame for us. That was going to be our big thing. But uh, they're pretty amazing. I mean, some I I, I, I guess uh, there was a couple of things that we weren't keen on. The booing I thought was a bit outrageous. We wouldn't get that over in Europe. Um, And I think that that putting... um, when Bryson sort of put his putter on the on the green after putting a short putt, I thought that was a yeah. bit out of order. Yeah. But saying that, the things that he did brilliantly were quite amazing, weren't they? Mm. Extraordinary, in fact.
1: Well, yeah, four hundred and seventeen. Yeah, well,
3: I was yeah, I mean, just incredible. I mean, and that's then knocking, booming it. it, yeah. Oh, and then knocking it on the first, on the last day to, and then hold it. I mean, that is yeah. just incredible, isn't it?
1: That's just just rude, bad just rude.
3: There's no need for that. We were guests in their
1: country, and they booed us come, and beat us. Andy, let's be positive. What were yep. the what were the things you could take from it? Because the profile, the age profile of the team, we're getting older. Who were the people, the younger talents that you saw coming through that we can look to going forward? Was there anybody that comes to mind?
3: Well, Hovland was the obvious, yes. the obvious winner of, and they, they all said they, they want everybody wanted to play with him, and, it, yeah. and he performed pretty well, didn't he? Really, uh, I think that the challenge we have our old guard just didn't turn up. Did they? Unfortunately, Rory uh-huh. really to the last day didn't really turn up. Did they? Westwood was we, we unfortunately we went into the tournament uh, not in great form. You know, Westwood a few months ago was playing great. I mean, they're still fantastic golfers, and they still perform. Cool pretty well but they didn't show up did they really uh, Fitzpatrick was a bit off uh, there was t- it was too many that just weren't quite buzzing really and I think uh, as
2: you say once that momentum starts to get away from you in in the Ryder Cup it can quite quickly snowball can't it as as we've yeah. seen the other way with you know sort of the uh the waves of blue on like the at yeah. Medina and yeah. uh you know at, uh, the K Club and things uh, yeah, it just sort of seemed to go the other way this time, and the pendulum, once it started swinging, kept swinging.
3: Yeah, we normally get it back a little bit, don't we, at times, and there's ebbs and flows, but there was no, it was just flowing, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> yeah. But
3: I don't, I don't think um, Harrington, Harrington could have done a lot different. I think, um, you know, I think he performed very well in the opening ceremony. Uh, I think he said all the right things. They obviously got this 164 thing as, a, as a, an idea, which was brilliant. Uh, mm-hmm. The cheese hats, uh, he, he, there was loads of lovely touches. So it all looked right, didn't it? Mm. We just, uh, at the bottom line, it's like football, the players have got to go and play. They've got to yeah. do their business.
1: Players out on, on the pitch. Talking about the, the line, cap- we captaincy, there, unfortunately. But, but what about the captaincy? Where would you go from here? Westwood, somebody like that?
3: Or? Uh, well, I think he's well up for it, isn't he? Because I don't think we're going to see him play again, don't no. think. So he would be a good choice, wouldn't he? Yes, but I, I think what what they do very well now. A lot of the vice captains move up because because uh, Harrington was uh, been vi- not vice captain, but you know assistant assistant captain yes. for three or four goes. Mm. So I think uh, there's a nice theme to that, isn't it? As they bring their their captains through. Um, so I, I would think Westworld would be good for for Rome, I I think a couple of years time.
2: You weren't yeah. bringing um, someone who's Italian for that, or or would you m- maybe look at the assistant captaincy for that? Because I know that's been done in other venues you know someone from that nation or region yeah i mean
3: hopefully francesco will play Mm. um so he's uh, so i think he's probably not quite ready really Mm. and then um yeah i don't think there's any other great italian that you would think of to go oh yeah he's the man for that i mean it's a lovely idea isn't it Mm. that you're you know in your in your home country that you uh you follow it but i guess i'm thinking back
2: to sevi and valderrama and uh how how he managed to do that, and uh, then who was it at the? Um, I forget who the other one was, but yeah, certainly you know Sevi Valderrama. Mm. I just remember that so, you know that all coming together in him,
3: yeah, yeah. Uh, sort of
2: you know creating that energy that only Sevi could really.
3: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Are, are,
1: yeah, yeah. are the lessons learned, Andy, on on this? I mean, that you could go to straight away and say. Number one, number two, number three. We were talking about coaching a short while ago. I mean, what are those lessons as
3: far as you're concerned? If there are, well, if that- well I'm, not, I'm not sure there's too many. But the um, I think what we did to uh, America uh, at Le National in Paris, where we made the course suit us, made the the long hitting not such an advantage, made the rough very thick. They did the reverse, uh, whistling straight. Is they got rid yeah. of some of the rough and yeah. and they. Didn't design the course for it, but they chose a course that was going to be right for for the the, the players, and they got very big, powerful hitters, and it suited. They still had to perform because we we could have beaten them, but they, the course was set up absolutely for you know their big hitters. Um, so I, I think what the job we did in Paris, they've done at Whistling Straits, um, and sometimes that's that's good enough, isn't it?
1: Yeah, well, it you know, <laughs> certainly wasn't weekend. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean,
3: I, I'm very, as as we all are very into Europe and whatever. It, it's slightly scary. I mean, every every, Euro, uh, every American team you see on paper is scary. Mm. You know, whether we win or not, it's you look at the list and you go, "Oh my goodness, Mark, that's a tough team mm. to beat." Uh, this time, you know, they had they had six rookies that had no baggage, uh, twelve really good players. They all they all made the FedEx. I think four of ours did. They had twelve players that all made the FedEx last, last ring. They're, if they do birdies or better at, for twenty twenty one, they're all in the top twenty. We had two in the top twenty. Um, yes. You know, yeah. all the numbers were were very much against for that course, really, because you need to be a big strong hitter. Um, so I think they just they just picked the right venue for the with the right team at the right time. And actually, you know, at some point they have to oh. keep, keep it interesting. Otherwise, 79, where we get trounced every time and people start to lose interest. So although I'd prefer to have won, it's probably occasionally an understatement. We need to let them <laughs> win occasionally. <don't> we? <laughs> <laughs> probably good for, good for the game, if not
2: for our uh, our weekends. Yeah.
3: Now, just on a very practical yeah, note. Yeah, tough,
2: tough to take.
1: Yeah, but just so we don't get too depressed. Uh, um, on a practical note for golf at the moment, because we're, we're autumn going towards winter, so come away from the Ryder Cup altogether, just you yep. as a golf pro. In term, Very simple question in the first place, and I, I learned this the other day, but it'd be interesting your answer.
3: Winter rules, when do they officially come in? Well, nor, I don't think they officially come in as a standard, but a lot of courses choose 1st of November, unless the weather is very poor before that time.
1: Yes, I I didn't. Re- I I thought there would be a set date, but it was mm. pointed out to me that you have the freedom with your course to decide, yeah. and, and that's understandable yeah. if if it's drier in the south of England, and so on. But I yeah. I actually just didn't know the kind of start official start point.
3: Yeah, M- most courses do first November, and then if if we've had a particularly terrible October, they might bring it forward a little bit more.
1: Okay, well that's that, and and. Uh, Andy, from a practical point of view, because it changes, doesn't it? The wetter conditions, heavier Mm. conditions and so on. What are the top tips you would have for golfers at this stage to start to think about? I know, relatively speaking, it's pretty dry and we're a long way, it seems, from November. But what are the sort of things to adapt to in terms of the irons you might use and how you use them and so on?
3: Okay, yeah, so, so certainly when, the, when the, the weather gets worse or the, um, the atmosphere gets harder, we, I always say to my pupils, if, if you remember when they, they used to have the world uh, match play at Wentworth in October, they played uh, all day 36 holes and they'd always generally have th- hit two or three clubs more in the afternoon than the, than the morning when it got yeah. a bit colder. So mm-hmm. we, we take that into account. So what I say to all my pupils have normally got some kind of GPS, so you'd have front, middle and back distance to the green is almost ignore where the pin is and just go for the back edge of the green as far as distance concerned. For right. two reasons. One, one is people people tend to judge a club by saying, if I hit it really well, it will go X amount of yardage. And invariably, yeah. you don't hit it quite as well. Huh. Uh, and then, so if it, say it's 150 and I'm hitting a 7-iron. If yeah. I hit it really well and it goes to the back of the green, that's fine. It's on the back edge, that's okay. If I don't quite catch it, then it's going to be in the middle or the front of the green where most people clip. Judge a club to if I hit it perfectly, it's yeah. in the middle of the green, and then they're further away from the pin as they they miss hit it and don't quite strike it. But the ball won't go through the air quite as quick in cold weather, heavy atmosphere, uh, and obviously it then also for the green if the ground's a bit sticky, it's just going to be like a game of darts where in the summer you're going to get a bit of roll and a bit of help. Mm. So more yeah. club, yeah, more club. So yeah, two so- to three clubs up,
2: you'd say, or. or-
3: it all can be. It's down, certainly, yeah. Yeah. yeah, certainly in the afternoon. Yeah. you know when you lose the sun and you know, it gets to three, four o'clock, it can make a massive difference. And you're mm. colder. The clubs are colder. The ball's colder. All of that sort of thing. So you, oh. you see all the time in the in, the, in the, they don't play much in the winter now, do they? But the pros, the caddy will always have a ball in his pocket, keeping it warm, and then swap it every hole just to try and keep some try try and warmth in the ball. And you,
1: you can do sure. that, Andy. I, I, you know, I'm I'm not a great follower of all the rules. Hopefully, I, I keep to them when I'm playing. But, but so you can change the ball as regularly as that if you want to.
3: Yeah, it has to be the same type of ball. Yeah, uh, and you can as a pro, you've got to finish off though. Unless it's damaged, you'd have to complete the hole with that ball, uh, and then they would swap it on the tee normally.
1: Right. Interesting. Yeah. It's a fascinating game in terms of the rules that surround it. But in the south of England anyway, it's been incredibly dry for a long period of time. So Mm. it seems like we're a long way away from that. But I thought, having got you on the podcast tonight, just a bit of preemptive stuff of what happens in the changeover. Because it it could be. I mean, it's rained an awful lot today, hasn't it? But we hardly seen rain for eight weeks. But it could be in the space of a month that we're saying, when the, when the rules come in, you know? yeah, yeah.
3: yeah, 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 yeah. Invariably, could, we're, what we're looking for really is when mud gets on the ball. That's the big, the, the big issue because yeah. is um, then the ball will go on a very strange detour without any effect from you. So um, that that's really what they're. The, when the pros are playing and they get a mud ball, that's when they yeah. lose control yeah. of the ball. Really.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, listen. You're you're obviously because we dragged you off the coaching uh, pitch tonight. Uh, um, you're obviously still very busy, which is a great thing.
3: Yes, yeah, good, yeah. Yeah, really exciting. I've actually got some gaps next week, so I might I might even be able to play a bit of golf. Can I just tell you, um, I had my fifth hole-in-one last week, Tone. Fantastic. Yeah, very At exciting. At Maple Durham. At Maple Durham. Yeah, Maple Durham on the sixth.
1: On the sixth? Yeah, nice
3: shot. Yeah, nice shot as well it was. Very oh, exciting. Blimey. It's been about 20 years since I've had my last one. <laughs> It's great. I was like a, I'm like a 10-year-old again.
1: So on, on the path 3-6, yeah?
3: Yeah. And what distance yeah. is that one, Andy? Well, off the T I I played, it was 185 into wind. And I'd love to say to you that I hit an A time, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, but it was straight.
1: I I, I have to uh, in no way can try and compete with you, which would be very silly. But I did get a two on that one. one time. a point. Yeah, yeah, that's that's your coaching, you see. <laughs>
3: yeah, <laughs> well, do. I'll take two up there any time.
1: It's really, it's really, um, really good to have you back on, and, and obviously a friend of the podcast. But great information as ever. And you know, if people wanted to get in touch with you Andy, and say, give me some stuff ahead of the autumn and the winter lessons and so on, what's the best way them contacting you?
3: Yeah, well, you can go to my website, which is Just Wild About Golf. Or um, Andrew Wild at AOL.com is uh, an easy
1: way to get a hold of me. Brilliant. Well, I'm sure you'll have people following you as ever. And we definitely are followers of yours and we'll invite you back again, mate. Thank yeah, you love to come
2: again. back. Andy, thanks ever so much Enjoyed for uh, taking us through the, uh, the ashes of the weekend and also for <laughs> the uh, hints and tips. And uh, good, yeah, good luck with the winter season.
3: Good man. Thanks, right? Thanks, boys. Good to see you. See you later. Hey, Andy, take care. Bye.
2: Bye.
3: Bye. Yeah. Lovely
1: stuff again. Um, and and uh, you know, quite apart from, as you say, the ashes of the Ryder Cup, practical information there. And he's always brilliant at giving advice that's practical and, uh, and helpful. So good to hear from him again. Mm-hmm. We'll, de- we'll get him back again, definitely.
2: But uh, yeah, so two brilliant guests again tonight. Yeah. A- absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I think, you know, um, analysis from both of them in very different ways, you know, uh, sort of Andrew Butterworth talking about the uh, in-depth computer-based analysis and Andy giving us the analysis there on both what had happened at the weekend and on uh, how how to play some of those shots and uh, based on his years of experience and wealth of knowledge. So absolutely great to have two fantastic guests. We can also say to Mike Smith that badminton – tick in the box for another of our <laughs> Olympic sports I guess, challenge
1: I didn't realize it was Andrew Butterworth's uh, um, main sport so that was a real winner, a, a uh, double winner yeah
2: yeah so a- absolutely great and again on that note folks please do share the podcast with other people and if you know of anyone who competes in any of the sports that we're looking to tick off from our Olympic challenge but also in any other sports then please do get in touch we Love to hear people's stories. So if you know of someone or you are someone yourself who's played at the elite end or at the amateur end, then please do get in touch with us. And we'd love to chat to you about your story and your sporting background.
1: Brilliant. Okay. And as usual, what we're saying is, look forward to being with you at a place and a time that suits you. That's how podcasts best work. But it is important to us that you spread the word. Tell a friend, as we say. There's plenty of friends getting to know all about us, but we can always do with more.
2: So take care, folks, and I uh, hope those of you that are after petrol can get petrol. And uh, we'll see you all at the same time and place next week.
1: And the podcast details, the contact details will come up at the end of this podcast. So see you later, guys. Bye. Cheers, folks.
0: Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan. Together, they don't add up to much. If you have a sports story, you can contact the team on N and V at forthenow.co.uk.